2: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, former NATO Deputy Secretary General, Rose Gottemuller, calls the Russian invasion of Ukraine an enormous tragedy that threatens to destroy Ukraine and turn Russia into a pariah state. We talk about what NATO and the U.S. must do now. Then we'll look at how Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson could shape the U.S. Supreme Court. President Biden has nominated Jackson to fill Justice Stephen Breyer's seat. If confirmed, Jackson, a federal appeals court judge who clerked for Breyer and is a former public defender, would be the first black woman to serve on our nation's highest court. Forum is next. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. New satellite images show a three-mile Russian convoy headed to Ukraine's capital city, Kyiv, where Ukrainian residents, resistance fighters have so far held ground. Meantime, Russian forces are escalating attacks in Kharkiv, hitting residential areas and pushing another wave of civilians to flee. The UN now says that more than half a million Ukrainians have fled or are attempting to flee the country. Joining us now is Rose Gottemuller, the Deputy Secretary General of NATO, from 2016 to 2019, and the Undersecretary for Arms Control and International Security for the U.S. State Department in the Obama administration. Rose Gautamuller, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. First, can I get your reactions to the latest developments in Ukraine?
3: I have such great sorrow for those over 500,000 people who have had to flee. I've heard by some news reports over the weekend that the lines to get over the border into Poland were were 13, 14 kilometers long, people standing out in the cold with their children. So my heart really goes out to those who are now refugees fleeing this terrible invasion. I take note of your story, uh, your, uh, your news stories, and the Russians have been pressing again and again and again over the past five days, but the Ukrainians are putting up a heck of a fight. I have been extremely impressed with how strong their defenses have been. They are fighting for their homeland.
2: Yes. I mean, as you say, they have been fighting back uh, very hard against a very aggressive Russian military. But are you concerned that that can hold? Is Russia really putting forward their full planned ability at this point?
3: Let us see what happens. I've been reading this morning some of the military analysts who expressed their surprise that the Russians have not yet really put forward all of their military power, leaving helicopters on the ground, for example, not trying to dominate Ukrainian airspace. Uh, so let us see if they now actually throw the full force uh, of uh, the Russian armed forces, including their air assets against the Ukrainians. I cannot tell yet. What is interesting, though, again, from from military commentators is the poor degree of preparation the russians apparently made for this invasion they expected a lightning strike they only gave the troops three days worth of food the fights into its fifth day now and food and fuel are running out evidently
2: well ukrainian and russian delegations they just ended talks in belarus ukraine is demanding the immediate withdrawal and ceasefire of course of russia what do you think about the ability for there to be some kind of productive negotiation right now? There have been some diplomatic experts who have suggested that this agreement to talks is really only for Russia to be able to buy time, to buy cover.
3: I'm afraid we must be, uh, we must be concerned about that, given the behavior of Vladimir Putin and his diplomats over the past month and a half. They kept stringing everyone along, talking about diplomacy, 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 when they were preparing an all-out invasion of Ukraine. So we have to be concerned about that, there's no question. I think the Ukrainians have gone about it the right way. First of all, they put clear, clear demands on the table, entirely warranted demands for a ceasefire and beginning of withdrawal of Russian troops. That is a necessary first uh, first action, I would I would think. They also sent a high-level delegation headed up by the Ukrainian Minister of Defense. What concerns me about the Russian behavior is that they sent as their envoy a former Minister of Culture who, as far as I can tell, knows nothing about defense and security matters. So it seems like they were thumbing their nose at these negotiations today. But I have yet to see any results posted Perhaps you can fill us in as they're announced.
2: Yes, yes. We have yet to see any kind of readout. We're talking with Deputy Secretary Rose Gottemuller about the invasion, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and the international response. And I want to invite you, our listeners, if you have questions for Deputy, Sec- Deputy Secretary Gottemuller, to call us at 866 733 6786. 866 733 6786. You can post your questions on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. You can email us forum at kqed Ukrainian President Zelensky is asking the European Union to quote urgently admit Ukraine to the to the EU. The president of the European Council voiced support. Do you think this is likely
3: to happen? Well, I do want to note that this all started with Ukraine's ambitions to join the EU back in 2014. At that point, the uh, Ukrainians and European Union were ready to sign an association agreement. Uh, It was prevented by the then uh, Ukrainian president, but he was ousted in the Maidan revolution. And after that, they did sign the association agreement and move forward with uh, membership in the European Union. So... But that is what precipitated the invasion of crimea back in 2014 this move to the eu it had nothing to do with with nato at the time and that is so interesting so all along ukraine has wanted to join the european union it has been moving in that direction there are a lot of aspirants for eu membership and there has been i would say a fair number of blockages from um, among eu members to new aspirants joining uh, either from central europe or from the balkan states so to be honest with you, I would be a bit surprised if uh, all EU opposition fell away quite quickly uh, to admit your, uh, Ukraine. But I may be wrong, given the, the dire circumstances we find ourselves in now. So let us see what they are able to decide in the coming in the coming days. But I'm a bit skeptical just because of the blockages that have been thrown up over the past few years.
2: Can I get your assessment of how the EU has responded? closing airspace to Russian airlines, buying weapons for Ukraine, and so on. What do you think of their response?
3: This is notable because, uh, frankly, again, the European Union prides itself on being the uh, economic and the development organization in its assistance and aid. It always emphasizes the need and, and the necessary requirements for proper economic development, uh, addressing corruption, dealing with the rule of law, building up governance systems, etc. So they always focus on that side of the ledger. NATO tends to focus on defense and security, uh, training exercises and assistance. So this is interesting to me that the European Union has decided to step forward in this way. I think it's very welcome, actually. Uh, Over in NATO headquarters, we always said such Efforts by EU to work, you know, work itself into the defense and security realm are welcome as long as they are uh, talking to NATO about what they're up to so the two organizations don't trip over each other. So I hope that's what's going on now. But I do think what the EU has been doing is quite welcome. And they have been adding, of course, to the weight of economic sanctions against Russia.
2: Yes, we're talking with Rose Gautamuller, Deputy Secretary General of NATO from 2016 to 2019 former Undersecretary for Arms Control and International Security for the U.S. State Department in the Obama administration. And we have calls coming in to join the conversation again, that number 866-733-6786. Peter, in Berkeley, what would you like to ask?
0: Hi. Um, I don't want to be frivolous here, but I do want to invoke uh, a witty comment. Somebody said, never waste a good crisis. Uh, This seems to be an opening to really shaking up the international order in a good way if the United States and other countries can provide good leadership, it seems to me. I think, uh, personally, it's an opportunity to expand NATO and make a worldwide security system alliance, uh, starting with the democracies, as President Biden has already said. stated would be a great idea but somehow to leave it open to uh upgrade the united nations to be that alliance of democracies and to make it more democratic itself or it wouldn't be so weak in situations like this and uh, i'd like a reaction uh, from from our guest here as to uh article 109 which has never been invoked uh Of the UN Charter, it's never been invoked in 75 years. It's desperately needed, and it allows for a constitutional convention, in essence, uh, to to look at the Charter again to see where it needs to be upgraded, and and it's I think it's never been invoked because everybody thinks, oh, the veto, the veto, you know, it'll never go anywhere. Well. Russian veto has just been disallowed from the statement by our our representative to the UN.
2: Peter, thanks. Rose Gottemuller.
3: This is really an important day to be talking about the United Nations, because the UN General Assembly has been meeting today in a rare meeting a rare meeting at which uh, countries across the UN membership are speaking out. Peter, I do take your point that that it it doesn't move often because of the veto. In fact, it doesn't move (laughs) almost every day because of the veto. But on the other hand, the United Nations is a forum where almost every country, I think every country that is constituted in the world, uh, has its flag up in front of headquarters in, in New York. And that is valuable in itself, that countries have to come together and hear each other out in that setting and i know russia had to hear the other countries out today in the un general assembly as they blasted russia for this unwarranted and illegal invasion so i do think that it it serves an important purpose and let us not forget the important humanitarian aid that the un extends as a political body it may be pretty pretty helpless at times but as a as a humanitarian organization it pro- provides really uh, vital food and other humanitarian commodities across the world, and now is doing so in the Ukraine case as well. So I think we ought to give uh, the UN credit where it can get things done. And humanitarian response is one important area.
2: Well, one thing that UN Secretary General Antony Guterres said today was that Putin raising the alert level of his nuclear forces is a chilling development. Your reaction to that, Rose?
3: Well, I agree with the uh, response of President Biden. On the one hand, he was very firm and clear and said that this movement is completely unwarranted and is meant to sow fear. And I think that was important. On the other hand, the president did not overreact. He did not say, and U.S. forces are going on higher alert. I think that this is important. We need to ensure that this does not turn into an escalatory spiral heading in the direction of the use of a weapon of mass destruction. That would be so severely consequential for the world that I can hardly foresee the results. But it is also true that Russia over the years has been a really good partner working in the non-proliferation regime and working with the United States on strategic arms reduction. Maybe I'm the, the, the optimist, but I hope we can get back to that at some point. We'll have more in future.
2: We'll have more with Deputy Secretary Gautamala right after the break. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
1: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
2: You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about Russia's escalating invasion of Ukraine with Rose Gottemuller, the Deputy Secretary General of NATO from 2016 to 2019. She's also a lecturer at Stanford University's Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies and its Center for International Security and cooperation. And you, our listeners, are welcome to join the conversation. What questions do you have for Deputy Secretary Gautamuller about the invasion, the international response? 866-733-6786 is the number. 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You were talking about the importance of reacting but not overreacting with regard to Putin raising the alert level of his nuclear forces. We're also hearing, though, Rose, that that Putin is angry that this campaign isn't going well, and there are a lot of concerns about what this could mean. Do you have any insights in terms of, I don't know, where we can draw from with regard to how authoritarian leaders like Putin react in situations
3: like this and, and
2: who or what can rein him in?
3: Yes, he does seem to be be behaving increasingly erratically, and I, I think that is uh, of of great concern. He has uh, had, uh, you know, a a speaking relationship with leaders uh, across NATO. President Biden himself has spoken to him and met with him in June at a summit meeting in Geneva. How long ago that seems! Uh, so I do think it will be important as. Uh, dire as the situation is now to keep in touch somehow directly with putin president macron has been doing so and uh yes. i think that uh you know that's an important step to try to keep him at least somewhat grounded in the reality as as we see it and to try to ensure that his behavior uh things like putting the nuclear forces on alert does not lead in a dire direction of of any kind of escalation. So I think that's uh, really what we can do right now and also continue to try to communicate with uh, the elites in Russia as well. I've been impressed with some of the public diplomacy efforts that have been going on with uh, the State Department, for example, uh, putting out Uh, more and more information, interviews, tweets, even in, in Russia. And I think that this is very important to try to reach not only elites in Russia, but also the Russian people as well.
2: Rose, how can we ensure the conflict is contained to the borders? Can you explain NATO's role in trying to ensure this? I mean, are they prepared for the worst case scenario? Should it enter NATO countries? Should the fighting spill over?
3: NATO's top objective now is to prevent this invasion, this horrific invasion of Ukraine from turning into a general war in Europe. No one wants to see that. And so NATO is prepared to deter Russia and to defend against it if it has to. And they've been very clear in the way they have been deploying their forces uh, in the Baltic States and Poland in recent days, reinforcing building up capability and capacity, these are all important, again, deterrent steps. NATO is a defensive alliance. It's not going to invade Russia or Belarus, although Putin talks about it quite the opposite, that that's all that NATO wants is to invade Russia. Quite wrong. So I do want to say, Nina, that it's important in recent years to understand how much training uh, NATO troops have gotten to avoid spillover from the invasion In Ukraine. NATO has been engaged in air policing in the Baltics and in Central Europe, for example, air policing that has prevented incursions into uh, NATO airspace from Russian fighter jets, you know, repeatedly over the last couple of years. And in doing so, uh, they've gotten a lot of training about how to prevent air incursions, how to essentially escort the Russians back into their own airspace without causing any kind of escalation. So I take some I, I take some courage from that good training that they've received uh, out of necessity in recent years. And I think it's not only air uh, policing, but also on the naval side as well. So I think that NATO is actually rather well prepared uh, to prevent the spillover effect from occurring.
2: Well, we have caller Jim in Atlanta. Hi, Jim.
0: Hi, how are
2: you? I'm well, what's your question? Well,
0: it, you sort of answered it. I was saying, uh... At what point should NATO then escalate a response if Russian troops accidentally or deliberately cross borders
1: continuously
0: or more than once? And frankly, should we sanction Belarus for their role in giving Russians an invasion? Mm
3: -hmm. Uh, The answer to that is an absolute yes, Jim. And I do believe that Belarus is being uh, sanctioned uh, now repeatedly. They have been sanctioned since... President Lukashenko started to put down the, the demonstrations two years ago, two summers ago that uh, followed the bogus presidential election. Someone else was elect- elected named Tikannovskayat to become president of Belarus, but Lukashenko stole the election and then put down the, the peaceful demonstrators. So he has been uh, he has uh, been sanctioned, he should be sanctioned. And uh, I know that there will be repeated waves of sanctions pressing both Belarus as well as Russia. Uh, On your other question, defense is um, something that NATO will uh, pay attention to, but it will also pay a lot of attention uh, to how to prevent any escalation. Again, its main objective at this moment is to prevent this invasion of Ukraine from turning into a general war in Europe. And that is really where NATO is focused like a laser light.
2: Let me go next to caller Jerry in Cupertino. Hi, Jerry.
3: Uh, good morning. I have a real quick question.
4: Uh, perhaps you can you can uh, fill in the pieces. Uh, assuming the currently there's peace talks going on between the UK and uh, I'm sorry, Ukraine and and Russia. If they're successful, and uh, there's some you know there's some agreement, uh, um, uh, 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 agreeable finish to it. What happens to all the sanctions on russia? Uh, do they just get unwound? Do all the frozen funds that that the Russian banks have Do they get released? Do they rejoin uh, rejoin swift does uh, does putin and uh, and his cohort get get all of the all of the uh, captured uh, or restricted funds back? Does that investigation mm. stop? And number two is, if they're not successful, and I think everybody is aware that Russia has a much more powerful military than Ukraine, if Russia succeeds in taking over Ukraine, do those sanctions, are they maintained forever? Or do they get unwound at some point? Jerry, um,
2: do- yeah. Thanks for your questions, Rose, what do you think?
3: Well, I would hope for the status quo ante somehow, uh, Jerry, that we get back. Uh, But there's been a huge amount of damage done uh, to our confidence in Russia's being able to behave as as an upright actor in the international system. If somehow we got back to the status quo ante, I imagine, yes, there would be an unwinding of sanctions. It would take some time to do so. We would want to make sure that Russia indeed was back to behaving as a full-up right-acting uh, right uh, global citizen, but um, it would take some time, I'm quite sure. I fear your worst case. I think we are in it for the long haul, and we have imposed sanctions for the long haul uh, on Russia uh, during a Cold War. I imagine we would be doing it again.
2: I would be curious to get your take, Rose, on how the U.S. and EU have removed some Russian banks from from SWIFT, the secure messaging system that links banks globally. The U.S. is also freezing Russian central bank assets in the U.S. What are the risks here?
3: Well, I think the risks accrue mostly to Russia, to be honest with you, uh, Nina. I do see panic in Moscow now as, as citizens are trying to withdraw their savings. They're afraid they're trying to Put their savings into dollars they're afraid the ruble is tanking it is tanking and so i think uh the the risks are are mostly on the shoulders of russia although there are some for western companies and banks as well there's been a lot of uh, economic interaction between russia and western companies that some are unwinding now british petroleum for example is unwinding from its investments in russia so there's going to be money lost and some some steps that will have to be taken to mitigate uh, the problems for Western uh, corporations and banks. But I think um, that's something the White House very much has in mind and is working with these companies to do so.
2: Well, Randy writes, a combined attack by the world's strongest nations, including the United States, could destroy the Russian invasion in Ukraine in one day. Why shouldn't we do this? Rose Gottemmuller.
3: Well, that is, um, I suppose, one scenario uh, to think about, but it's not a scenario that I, I approve of or that I would support because I think we do want to avoid a general war. We want to avoid a general war in Europe, as I've been saying, and we want to in- avoid a, a general world war as well. That's not good for anyone. And so that is why I say let us try to um, to somehow back off this invasion of Ukraine and see if we can somehow get back to a stable uh, situation. That, I think, needs to be our objective rather than thinking about ramping up and, and uh, diving into uh, a more dangerous and destructive and wide-ranging war in Europe.
2: You begin today by noting the more than 500,000 Ukrainians, virtually all women and kids, actually, fleeing or attempting to flee abroad. How should the EU begin to prepare for what could be What is turning into a major humanitarian
3: crisis? I am happy to say that the EU, as well as the United Nations, I mentioned, they are stepping up uh, to this humanitarian crisis. And I am so glad after the the crisis back in 2017 of refugee uh, movement into Europe and how it created this huge backlash among countries, specifically Poland and Hungary, for example, and now all of a sudden particularly Poland, but also Hungary, have been welcoming these refugees from uh, from Ukraine and the EU has just uh, said that they will allow them to stay in the EU for three years. I think this is a very good step on the part of the Europeans and really has to be supported. They are doing, I think, an amazing job so far.
2: Well, Rose Gautamala, really appreciate speaking with you, Deputy Secretary.
3: It's been my pleasure on a sad occasion, Nina, and I hope the next time we talk, it will be better news. I do too.
2: Deputy Secretary General of NATO from 2016 to 2019, also a lecturer at Stanford's Freeman Spoli Institute for International Studies and its Center for International Security and Cooperation. We'll have more of a forum after the break. Stay with us, listeners. I'm Nina Kim.